You're listening to Kapow, the pop culture podcast. Comics, television, movies, and more. If it impacts fan culture, we have something to say about it. And now, your hosts, Michael, Jordan, Cliff, and Seth. This is the illustrious Michael K. Easton. My name is Jordan Lowe. I'm Cliff Barnes. I'm the evil villain, the Grand Poobah. <laughs> Brought to you by the end of the world. Starting now. So we're doing a big uh, villains podcast here. going to give you our favorite villains of all time from any form of pop culture. Any form, Poobah? Yes. Any form. That's right. No limits whatsoever. That's right. They wanted to know what it was from. I was like, not just comics. Movies, TV, books, video games. Pick your top villains. Podcasts. Podcasts, right. I better get on somebody's list. (laughs) What are these books you talk about? Yeah. That's what I was... Those are those things you play in the car. I was seeing how many of those show up on lists as non-picture books. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of, we're in the middle of winter here. There's kind of a pop culture lull. It'll be a few more months till Star Wars comes out or another comic book movie. So we're going to do a fun episode and just talk about our favorite bad guys. It's dark, it's dreary out, perfect time. We're celebrating the inauguration. <laughs> oh, we're not bringing Somebody up. asked me if, why we were recording that one tonight on Friday, January 20th. I said, I swear it was completely happenstance (laughs) that we're talking about villains. It's an idea for an episode we've been planning for several months. Yes. (laughs) That's our story. That that the three out of four of us threw together top ten listen this week. (laughs) I I told them about it months ago, but we decided let's do it now. Well, I made a a list of 10, 15 like a week ago and sat on it. And then I I had finished it today. So... It wasn't completely last minute. Okay. In much the same process, I made a list at 3 a.m. this morning and pretty much just stuck with that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, t- now, t- I've t- been told Michael finished his list before Cliff this time. So I did. Michael Whoa. was not the last one Your done. Story. Does it happen every once in a while? I actually have printed paper with information <laughs> on it. He, like, it's he's, very interesting. He's prepared. Well, he's, don't just read it to us. This is yeah. the first time. Well, it's going to be odd because it's the first time in two years he's ever brought notes. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> ever brought notes. Sure We've do. done top ten lists before. <laughs> We've done movie debates. All, talked about all the stuff, and this is the first time in pre- two years. Well, I prefer him off the cuff, actually. Uh, I don't think you guys are ready to handle professional Michael. I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm, I'm, not. I'm guessing I'm going to veto this ever happening again. <laughs> very, very true. <laughs> we like you on your heels. Let's see how proper I can enunciate everything this evening. So we're going to do, like, say, all our top tens, and then we'll go do our nines. We'll take turns, counting down until we get to all of our top our number ones. And you said we probably should uh, clarify a little bit. We're not debating who is the best of all time. They're right. all pop culture. It's personal favorites. Right. These are the ones that impacted us, who, who we 
think of when we think of great vill- villains of pop culture. Yeah. Oh, is that what we were supposed to do? <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah, there's no reason to argue with us or call us wrong. These are the villains right. that had the most impact in our own Nobody's lives. wrong here. Right. And except that, except Michael. Michael. Unless, yeah. Nobody's wrong right. at this table. <laughs> Jordan, we had this talk, dude. Come on, I man. I know. I fall into bad habits. <laughs> oh, what were you? Did you make him promise not to pick on you? No, I said I never in my life am I ever mean to Michael, except on this podcast. <laughs> and I just follow you guys. <laughs> you guys say an insult, and I jump on I know. Like, like a schoolyard bully, like picking on the weak guy. Uh, and it's yeah. terrible. I you feel bad want, about myself. You don't want Cliff and I to take your milk money either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was like, you know... Uh, you and I were the ones that started this damn thing, and you just like and jump on their you train. Into- <laughs> oh, yeah, as soon as he could get you off of the main table, he did. Like a true, <laughs> like a true villain. Oh yeah. Ooh. Speaking of villains, it was nice to finally listen to uh, the podcast that I was not part of, and I got to listen to Seth Eat Crow about a movie that I suggested that he actually liked. Yeah, but the one you, you didn't watch. You never. Yeah. You, you still haven't even seen it. We're not talking about that stuff. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Let's stick to the subject here. Bring on the bad guys! All right. So I'll start it off with my number ten. Ten. Okay. This, you know, I'm I'm hardcore Captain America, but my first hero was even before I even knew a Captain America. This is when I was. I was just a little tyke, and the villain on this cartoon and the music scared the hell out of me. I'm even wearing my shirt from this cartoon <laughs> as I unzip my jacket. I loved Underdog. I still do. I think it's got probably the best theme song still I've ever heard in my life. Was his girlfriend's name Penelope or something? It's Sweet Polly Purebred. Come on, it was now. close. It was P. It was. I think it was part. Was podcast. it? I mean, was it? Was it part of like the Rocky Bullwinkle show? I can't remember. I it's the like same it type was, of thing. Yeah. yeah. If not, I feel like they were played back to back. But the villain was Simon Bar Sinister, and he was based on the guy uh, Lionel Barrymore that played Mr. Potter in It's a Wonderful Life and Scrooge mm-hmm. in the 1938 Christmas Carol. Hmm. He was, uh, of course, underdog, if you don't know, was the mild-mannered shoeshine boy dog. And he <laughs> would take his power pill and become underdog, save sweet Polly purebred from the wickedest man in the world, Simon Bar Sinister, who wants money and power. And, of course, it was it was the simpler times. Showing money us, and power. Showing us how great drugs were at an early age. Right, yeah. But that was <laughs> They had to switch it up, I think, for the newer underdog movie. He didn't take drugs to get strong. <laughs> <laughs> I, for life of me, I cannot remember what this villain looks like at all. He's That's just surprising. Likely, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to try to describe it to you. Just look him up. But he, uh, I just remember the 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 theme song of the show oh, starts yeah, out, and it, I remember there's like some harmonica and ooh, ah, ooh, it scared me. So I had to I had to put him on this list because this is the first villain that. How fitting the first one has the name Sinister. That's right. And so we're going to go around. Let's go clockwise here, Michael. Who's your number 10? Zeus, the Greek god. I 
I thought that would be a better reaction from that. But he, is he a bad guy? Is he a bad guy? Well, that's the that's the thing is people would think that he's a good guy, but if you go to all the original like Greek mythology based around him, he is like human being with ungodly power that does all this like bastardly things to like people that you know his brothers, his sisters. Um, but unfortunately, I have to read it because I, I just can't put it in words. But Zeus had a cruel side to him, like all ancient gods, such as when he pun- punished Prometheus for stealing fire from Olympias by having him strapped to a rock while an eagle ate his liver daily. What is more villainy than that? Like the, the things that, well, that Zeus, Zeus would in do. Mysterious ways. I mean, we, who are we to question the divine uh, will of our god? And- Savior? I wasn't going to I just like to pull back on that at the last second. And I, no, okay. oh. But yes, I had Zeus because for all the good deeds that he did, he there was also a lot of misdeeds that he did. Okay. All right. Well, these are some odd cuts here to, to kick things <laughs> yeah. up. I like it. Cliff, who's your number 10? Uh, my number 10 is Ivan Drago Ooh. from Rocky 4, of course. Ooh. Uh, mainly because not only was he uh, in the movie an Olympic gold medalist with the record of 100, 1, and 0. I just love the fact that <laughs> he represented the entire Soviet Union in the height of the Cold War. And it's a fact known that Rocky Balboa ended the Cold War Die. in that movie. <laughs> And as far as I can count, he only spoke about four times actually in the movie. That's how much gravitas his his words, yeah, that physical imi- yes. intimidation. It was perfection. And he, his lines were to Apollo, "You will lose." <laughs> During his victory speech, I like your George Lucas impression better. <laughs> I know it's much better. I could read it as George. Do it, do it. Yeah, do them all as George Lucas. <laughs> I cannot be defeated. I defeat. Oh man! Soon, I defeat real champion. If he dies, he dies. Oh, that was so much better. But my favorite line, of course, is "I must break you." Um, but yeah, it's just the quintessential. I I love oh Rocky Four. I love the montages of him working out in the. And this, with all the Soviet scientists and their computers hooked up to him and oh, yeah. pumping him full of steroids. Um, and he had the... <laughs> Just like underdog. Yeah. Taking and, him steroids. <laughs> and a lot of drugs. And, of course, he was... It, no great villain. Every great villain has to have a great villainess. And, of course, he was married to uh, Brigitte Nielsen in Rocky Four, who, her and herself, could have been an honorable mention. Um, but yeah, so Ivan Drago, I just always stuck with me. I well, love definitely. I, it's my favorite Rocky movie. I love watching Rocky defeat communism. <laughs> <laughs> In a boxing match. How fitting! Now we're all for communism, right? <laughs> Yeah, Rocky had some good villains, but like it's we, you know, it, it took to the fourth movie, the probably his most iconic, yeah, the one the, everyone knows. Even if you haven't seen a Rocky movie, you and know, the best James Brown ever. That's right. Let's move on. And wrap up number ten. My number ten, sticking in the eighties, 
A man named John Kreese. Okay. Does anyone know who that is? Nope. Nope. What if I say sweep the leg? Sweep the leg. Ooh, I love it. Sensei of the Cobra Kai, John Kreese. Oh. A man. No mercy. Not a supervillain. Not a. No superpowers. But it's just that that everyday evil that someone with authority warping these young men oh. into bully, you know, the whole we're very mm-hmm. big day and the bullying and all mm-hmm. that. And like, and you can argue Daniel brought a lot of it on himself because he was a little punk. Hey. He probably <laughs> deserved to be knocked down a few times. <laughs> but yeah, here's a guy, and we don't get much of his backstory. You see a picture of him in Vietnam. So he's like an ex-Special Forces veteran, and I think in the sequel there's some sort of racist slur at Mr. Miyagi, so... Oi, let him go. Yeah, Mr. Miyagi's right. Let him go. I say, let him go. Beat it slow for your death. You get a tiny hint at a, at a damaged backstory, but mainly we just get a guy who, he just enjoys torturing children. Like, yeah. he gets such glee out of watching this poor East Coast kid what suffer. Did, did you look up this guy's name? Like, uh, the actor is Martin Cove. Because I, I, I mean, I am so perked and interested in this <laughs> yeah. pick because I love the Karate Kid. Yeah. And I love that guy. I just think he did such a good job in that role. I mean, he was just evil. The I meanest him, bully ever. I saw him in some movie <clears throat> from, like, the 70s. It was some trucker movie. And he was literally just staying in the background with his arms crossed. And he was like, you know, 15 years younger. And I instantly recognized him. Oh, I was yeah. like, oh, hey, it's, it's, it's a crazy Isn't kid guy. he in, like, Commando or one of the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies? I'm sure, yeah. He, I look, on IMDb, he had a long, long mm. career. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm sure just a lot of character character pieces and stuff. And I'm sure but, in every one of those movies and television shows, he had a Cobra Kai <laughs> gi on underneath whatever <laughs> the costume was. Cobra Kai, do or die. Definitely had something wrapped around his head. Yes, yeah, so I, I mean, a lot of people, it can be a, kind of a silly 80s throwback, but I think he's a great oh, villain. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, he's certainly a memorable villain, yeah. if He can nothing punch else. the hell out of a car window, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Which I also heard, or I saw on IMDb, one of the stunts went wrong on that, and the people didn't pop the window, and he Ooh. broke it and, and, like, injured his hand, yeah. and they kept one of the cuts in the movie. It's literally uh, his, his, his blood. His is... Covered yeah. in yeah. blood. Yeah, so when one of those takes, he actually broke the car window himself. I love that whole whole thing, that it ends that movie and starts the next yeah. movie. Oh, yeah. I'm just, I love, love it. Cut! <laughs> All right, so those were our number tens. We're going to go on to number nine. We're going to start with Michael this time. Trailing off, and did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? Oh, with my number nine. Now, unfortunately, because of all the sequels, this villain loses points. But the very first one in the original first movie, Jigsaw. Like, the concept of morality and twisting it. And, like, I remember watching You're this You're talking movie. about Saul, right? Yeah, Saul. Okay. Because I feel like the continuation of the movies, like, completely diluted him as a villain. But in that first movie, I thought was terrifying the premise of him using people's um, moral compass against them and making them, you know, basically sacrifice themselves to try to survive. Right. The original idea at the time and def- definitely caught everybody off guard that wasn't spoiled. And 
and it was sort of a the thing <clears throat> where he he in his mind even maybe he's doing good or he's making people you know he, phony people out there who you know, I, I can't remember the plot exactly but yeah he wasn't just evil torturing innocent people he was taking people he thought were guilty Is that right. the idea? well my my notes say these tests were typically symbolic of what jigsaw perceived as a flaw in each person's moral character or life the jigsaw name was given to him by the media for his practice of cutting a puzzle piece shape of flesh from those who failed <laughs> okay never saw it really the first that's, one? That's not Cliff's cup of tea. Yeah. He's more into teacups. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Although, i I, I got to say one th- one more thing about that movie. is The sequel, there is a part where this former drug abuser falls into a vat of dirty, needle, dirty needles. And it, like, out of all of them, like, to this day, just gives me the creeps. Ugh. And they killed Jigsaw off pretty early in the franchise, didn't they? And then, like, people took his place. So, like, yeah. There's been a, a ton of those afterwards. But, yeah. And that, and that actor's really good and creepy, too. Yeah. I've only seen the first one. I, I just I one. figured that's what I, I heard. I, I had missed, like, maybe the fourth one was out when I got around to watching the first one. Everybody's like, eh, some are good, you know, it gets good, it's bad, whatever, but the first one's the best, so I was like, why why go on? Cliff, what's your number nine? Number nine is like a lot of kids, um, I knew little kids at the time. As a child, I was a little bit of a fan of big time Wrestling, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) And back in the mid-80s, there was no greater villain, no one you hated more, than Ric Flair. (gasps) 16-time world heavyweight champion. I thought you were going to go with a Russian again. (laughs) (laughs) You you never double up on your Russian. (laughs) (laughs) That's a virtual podcast. Unless you're drinking white Russians. Yeah, so, uh, again, couple quotes. Uh, of course, he was the styling, profiling, limousine riding, <laughs> jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling dealing, son of a gun. Woo! And more famously, to be the, the man, you've got to beat the man, and then you had the iconic, woo! woo! But my favorite was probably always Space Mountain, maybe the oldest ride in the park, but, it has the longest line. Girls, you can't be first, but you can be next. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that there would be a Disney reference. Oh. In <laughs> He's a nature so, boy also. you got to put that in there, right? He was the nature boy. And yeah. I, what does that mean? I've never understood what that, what, where that <laughs> I nickname don't know. I, I Honestly, I think he ripped it off a, like an old-timey wrestler. And just copied everything that guy did, honestly. Yeah. Well, that's what I will always understand. No, he perfected it. He perfected it. How villainous of him. <laughs> that, yeah. That. But, yeah, just to, it was funny making out this list. And, you know, like I said, I, I was doing it at 3 a.m. So I don't know if my mind how clear it was. But when I think of people, villains that I just hated as a kid, I hated Ric Flair. Who was his arch enemy? Or is just whoever was. I on remember top of the him, time. him always fighting with Dusty Rhodes. Okay. Now that's probably way back in early to mid eighties, but I'm sure there were that's many the only after re- that. That's the only wrestling I remember is <laughs> now, at my grandfather's knee now, watching which, TBS. What was that wrestling federation? Like, because I know there was WWF. What was that one called at the time? Because that was the other one. Well, it was. I remember it being like 
I remember the NWA. It was like the championship year was the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Okay. But I think it was actually like World Championship Wrestling. Like WCW. Mm. On yeah, TBS. Right. Remember, right. it was on like yeah. Saturdays, 6.05 on TBS. <laughs> <laughs> I did so, not like TBS as a child. <laughs> it's a super station. All right, Jordan. Uh, my number nine, in researching some of these lists, and after I came up with my list, I did a Google search, like, who are the best villains? And we're very, if you haven't noticed, male-heavy on the villains. Oh, yeah. There's not a lot of classic female villains beyond you know, the femme fatale sort of thing. But this number nine made my list... Like one of the first ones I thought of, and it wasn't. This was not an inclusion just for diversity. This was not affirmative no, you're action. Genuinely scared of women. I genuinely. <laughs> right, right, right. <Yeah. laughs> oh, that was so wrong. So my number nine is Mags Bennett from the show Justified. Yeah. This is the actress mm. Margot Martindale, who she is. Uh, she's been a character actor forever. Uh, this won her her first Emmy. And then she's gone on to the Americans, uh, lots of others. Which season she, was that? It was like it two was, or four. Season two of two, Justified. Two, yeah. And for my money, one of the best seasons of television ever filmed. Um, we're talking about the, the, the Ranger. What are we, not, no. Yes. Rangers? What are they? Yeah, U.S. Marshals. Yeah, Marshals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah Raylan Marshals. Givens is a U.S. Marshal, uh, and from Harlan County, Kentucky. And Mags Bennett is, she's the matriarch of this crime family. And all these Kentucky families have gone back generation after generation. And out in the hills and hollers of Kentucky, they've carved out this kind of, uh, they were pot farmers. And, you know, she loans money to people. So it's this intricate family story between the Bennetts and the Givens. But it's very modern as well because there are these coal companies coming into town and people are trying to fight them. So she's fighting the coal company, but maybe behind the scenes is doing some other stuff. So it's, it's just, it's, who's got the mineral rights? Exactly. I expect you to bring that up every episode <laughs> from now on. Ice tea and mineral rights. So yeah, this is just a middle aged matronly grandma kind of person. And is terrifying. Yeah. Just an amazing villain. Uh, just runs the family with an iron fist. This is like Tony Soprano who mm. can bake cookies. And yeah. I just came up with that off the top of my head. Nah, if man, you want to use that, if anyone wants to use that, yeah. I, I will they say that. Yeah. Oh, Go sorry. I was just going to say that was the season that got me started watching yeah, that. Yeah, that. that definitely it improved off of the first season. And, um, they did a good job on that show taking these characters that they, you know, they really established a lot of family members in the first few seasons and using them later on in the series to, you know, just using it really well. It was a good mm-hmm. developed show. Yep. My number nine is from the books by Thomas Harris. Yes, books without pictures, but perfected. Crazy talk. In, uh, in 91. Um, it won Best Picture, and Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director was Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Now, I actually had him on my list. That was the one I had to take off. Oh, yeah. I, I moved him around a few times. He still stayed in there at nine. But, yeah, Anthony Hopkins just in one of his best roles. Um, 
He was like a cultured psychiatrist. You know, he was, you know, Jodie Foster's character, Clarice, was coming to him for information. He had, you know, he's Hannibal the cannibal. He eats people. And she comes to him for for information to help her with a case, but he's just messing with her mind, you know, making trades for personal information about her just to, you know, screw with her. And that's what I really like about that character because it's a real-world type villain. And those are really the the ones that scare the crap, at least for me, that scare the crap out of me the most of things that could actually happen. Oh, yeah. He, I mean, in one of the books or movies, he, he fed a guy his own brains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is like he took brains out and fed well, I think that it. was in Silence of the Lambs, huh? like at the very end, wasn't it? Was or was it that... that uh, it was at the beginning of uh, Hannibal, maybe. Okay. I think. I'm I think not I, positive. I remember you and I watched one of them, I thought, at the theater. Like that, Dragon's yeah. Red Letter. Red Dragon? Yeah. Yeah, that was good. But anyway, if he's got the famous line, a sense of... St- Wait... <laughs> I, was, I, don't, I can't do George Lucas. I was, I was just saying, I was, I was sitting here zoning out wait. because I was imagining George Lucas talking about Chianti. Yeah, yeah. Since his taker once tried to test me, I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. But that's my number nine. And so we're going to number eight. We'll start with Cliff this time. Okay, speaking of George Lucas, no. Uh, my number eight is Jabba the Hutt. Ooh. Um, just because I always loved Jabba the Hutt in Jedi. And just, he was... Slothy? Disgu- yes. Slothy, disgusting, vile. Um, just this criminal underbelly of things that he represented, of the gambling, the slave girls. Um, you know, he, he took... He he laughed in the face of, you know, when he would set out a cruel punishment to our heroes. Not not to mention giving the gift of us of Princess Leia in her slave outfit. <laughs> what a guy. Yeah. You call him a villain. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, just something. He was too so... Too soon, Michael. Too soon. Well, sorry. <laughs> What's new? <laughs> Java was so disgusting and just had that insatiable appetite. Um, literally, you know, we see him eating gross creatures and bug things, and he's got that weird little dude that hides under his tail. And and uh, what was that little dude's name? Oh, Delicious Crow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I was trying to throw something in there. Do you guys call me? I prefer on his all. all- Alternate version, Pizza the Hut. Pizza the Hut. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Equally vile. But, yeah, I, it was just something I, you know, we had Vader, and he was a great villain. Um, he is a great villain, even, you know, we've seen today. But I always liked Jabba, too. So I wanted to throw him in there, just the the way he represented, you know, morbid obesity and corruption that is so throughout our own culture anymore, especially, you know, more and more today. Um, but also with that, he was, all, you know, he was so disgusting. He, uh, he's quotable. You know, when you hear that, that 
bellowing voice, you know instantly who he is. I mean, he's unforgettable as a character. So do a bellowing George Lucas, Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> now you're pushing it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got it in you. Well, I, yeah, because I, I always wonder, and I'm sure it's you know, there's some expanded universe backstory or whatever. But like, you know, how did he get so feared and so respected? Like, he must have done some bad stuff coming up, and like. So he, his reputation precedes him, and he doesn't really have to do anything. He can just tell people what to do, and they're so afraid of him. Right. That we, when we see him at his point in his career, you know, he's Vito Corleone or whatever. Right. He he's leader of the huts. Yeah, he doesn't have to, uh, you know, just push a button and drop people down a pit. But yeah, so I, that's cool that he has that uh, reputation that he's built up through. <laughs> Wasn't there that we don't an see. episode of Rebels where like his son or something got kidnapped? It was um, the Clone Wars. It was, I think, it was like a the introductory movie okay. event of the Clone Wars on a cart on Cartoon Network. Yeah, it, it was. It was Jabba's son, and I, I I think I saw it years ago, but yeah, I faintly remember that. And there is there's in the legends or the old EU, there are countless tales of the Hut Cartel and and stories that featured Jabba the Hut and and other huts and how. Villainous and disgusting they were. Do you have any? Do you have any of these spinoff things? You have spinoff Ewok stuff in your collection, so no hut. No, uh, Java Christmas. Special. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jordan. What's your eight? My number eight. We're going back to the eighties. To a little film called Red Dawn, <laughs> and the best villain in that Colonel Bela, Colonel Ernesto Bela, <laughs> uh, played by Ron O'Neill. Uh, probably most famous for Superfly. Um, this guy, he's a Cuban soldier, and it's so weird in an 80s Cold War movie that we follow the villains so much. You know, if you think of any of those Rambo or uh, Commando, any of those movies, you just kill all the faceless commies and move on. Like, this movie takes pains to paint this guy as a real three-dimensional character. Uh, we learn he talks about fighting as a younger man on the guerrilla side in El Salvador, Nicaragua. So he's moved up the ranks into to becoming a colonel, and now he's he's the invading army. And he's looking at these kids out in the woods, you know, planting bombs and fighting guerrilla war, and he sympathizes with them because he's like, that was what we had to do coming up. So he's he's conflicted. With the mission, he's not sure why he's there. He's missing his home and his family. And I said, for Red Dawn has a terrible reputation as the most cheesy, jingoistic, rah rah America '80s movie. But if you rewatch it, there's there's a lot of stuff like that. That there's more nuance than you would think. And and to show a communist invader as having some kind of nobility in 1984. I, it just stands out to me to this day. As a kid, I didn't care about that stuff. Right. You know, just, that, that's why it's nice to revisit. Yeah. I was going to say, I was just now picturing you as a little kid playing the villain, like <laughs> like playing G.I. Joe style. I love this yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> like going, trying to find a fur coat from your mom or something. <laughs> I'm Colonel Bell. I get to be Colonel Bell. Not again. You get to do it every time. <laughs> Poor Jared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Red Dawn. It's 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 a guilty pleasure, but it's also it is literally one of my favorite films of all time. Oh, I would stack it up as any war film ever made. 
I know it's kind of cheesy. Yes, but, but I, I, it has these moments that that really make it stand apart. Cheese movies are still allowed to be your favorites. Mm-hmm. Like it's definitely one of my favorite movies. Uh, when the the Russians come parachuting in there, I mean that I still love watching that movie. My number eight is from a movie in my, a lot of minor for movies, but 2007. Paul Thomas Anderson movie called There Will Be Blood. It's Daniel Plainview, played by Daniel Day-Lewis. He's only done a few roles, but he's lauded as one of our greatest actors. And he uh, he won the Oscar for Best Actor that year. I have not seen that. A lot of people have not seen it. And it's also one of those movies that maybe the first time you see it, it's not... What you're it's, expecting, it's I guess. It's not the one with Leonardo DiCaprio. No. <laughs> no, that's Gangs of New York. Okay. Um, it's the one with the milkshake. This is the one with the milkshake, yeah. Great line. Love that's That's really what got him on this list, was that line. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, got, it's also got uh, Paul Dano in it, who was in Swiss Army Man. And I really like him. But he's a uh, Daniel Day-Lewis character... Daniel Plainview is an oil tycoon, the turn of the century, and he's just ruthless. He he's about winning at all cost, and he gets into you know a lot of conflict with a preacher that's played by Paul Dano. But he's basically snatched up land from a lot of people and taken you know all the profits from this, and he famously you know says you know after uh someone wouldn't sell them land their land to him he uh owned all the land around them and sucked the oil out from underneath them like a milkshake and he famously <laughs> says i drink your milkshake <laughs> it's great How weird oh it's great i i mean it t- like i said it takes you may not like it the first time i didn't love it the first time i saw it but i revisited it later and got a lot more out of it and all I can think in my head is the milkshake song now. <laughs> yeah, this is one I've only seen once, and he's a really captivating villain, but yeah, I would like to revisit it. and It, it, de- it pays off more, to, to yeah. watch it again. I, de- I definitely got and more out of it. And just cruel, you know, if I'm sure even as a parent, you know, the, the, the cruelty he shows toward his son oh, is yeah. just awful. It's, it's fantastic to revisit. Okay. We are now, was that it for eight? Yeah. Nope. I mean, seven, sorry. Uh, no, that was eight. That, that was, was eight. eight. That was eight. Okay. You could uh, have a little one, a two, a one, two, three, a three, a five, a four, a three, two, two, a two, four, six, two, four, six, four, two, two, four, seven, five, seven. Now we're on to seven. Am I not allowed like to do my number eight? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> May Zeus strike you down. <laughs> if you could only see the look he gave because I didn't remember him. Now, once again. Time's up. Okay. <laughs> Seth is just trying to make his list by the end of the night. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, my number eight is, again, the character that was great the first time around, but as continuing uh, seasons went on, his character got screwed royally by the writers, or lack thereof, which is Siler from Heroes, the first oh. season. Oh, gosh, I screwed that up already. We're going to go say, the, say this right now. This is on... This is Cliff's number six. Ah. Number seven. Okay, I'm sorry. So, so okay. that would what would be next anyway. Yeah. So they're both so going to talk about this at so the we'll same time. Segue into seven. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, just like you planned. Yeah, it was all planned. Uh, but anyway, like people had such love for this show when it first came out. It was great. Like. This was our first taste of comic book type stuff being on TV. In a long time. It's a very long time. And the villain of that first season, it was creepy. It was a guy that was preying on people that had powers and was like, was it, was he sucking their brains or eating their brains? Yeah. Yeah. He would like, uh, he got, it got a little nastier because every time he would acquire a new power. Yeah. That's how he, it worked. He would, um, uh, scalp them more or less cut the top of their heads off exposing their brains to figure out because he was a he was a watchmaker originally i think that's how it started out and uh he desired to be special instead of just an ordinary person that nobody ever paid any attention to and but yeah he would um he would basically steal their abilities out of their brains um by this, you know, like an uncontrollable hunger. Yeah, like he, he couldn't control it. Like he yeah. was drawn to it like an animalistic urge. And it was creepy. And then they screwed him over by trying to make him into a hero time and time over again. And that's that's exactly what I had was Siler season one. Yeah. Because he was terrifying season one. Yep. He was the, he was a, I mean, he was the ultimate bad guy. Because like you said, he wasn't just trying to take over the world. He was seeking out people with powers and killing them. Yeah. And the actor that um, Zachary... Quinto. Thank you. Did a great job betraying him in season one. It's that case of he was almost too good because I'm sure fans wanted more and the creators like, we got to keep this guy on. So it got more and more preposterous of why he would keep coming back or... Well, then we had the writer's strike too. Oh, right, right. Which completely destroyed the show. Um, Just... it, it. Got worse and worse as on. See, I think how many seasons? Three. I uh, actually went to four. Okay. Because it yeah. even says that um, he experienced over three years with in a mental prison, and later identifies himself as a hero, and which became the show's series finale due to cancellation. But there was at one point where they brought it back a couple years later. Yeah. Um, but there was one like. I'm forgetting the characters now, but anyway, the one that dies, he gets, Siler gets brainwashed into becoming that guy. Yes, he took out, yeah, he thinks he is, was it Nathan? I can't remember the names. Anyways. Um, yeah, it was great the first time around. It, it really was. Um, I, I could watch that season one a few times over and over. Uh, because I, I did like, they had very flawed heroes. Yeah. Um, save the cheerleader, save the world. Right. But they had, with these flawed heroes, you really had a sense that they there was a possibility they may never defeat Siler. And one by one, he was, you know, would seek them out and kill them all. So, 
And that was a problem with that show overall of characters switching their identities. Like, it was so mishandling. Yeah, well, we had a few that, you know, we had the one character that apparently turned into, like, triplets. And so they could kill her off and bring her back as somebody else and kill her off and bring her back as somebody else with all different powers. It was silly, but... Okay, we'll have Heroes Hour sometime. (laughs) I did think the reboot was really good. I enjoyed it. (laughs) Oh yeah, so that this was, was two. That was two entries, so they got. I know, I know. I let them ride. That was Michael's number eight and Cliff's number seven. So no, Jordan, what's your number seven? Right, uh, my number seven. We're getting into my first comic book character, the Kingpin. Ooh, Ooh. now there's a classic villain. So again, not the most flashy character, or has, has been in the most comics, but just for some reason, one of my favorites has just been in so many great stories. Uh, began as a Spider-Man villain, obviously. Uh, Wilson Fisk took over the uh, gangland operations, worked his way up from a, a, you know, street thug into the kingpin of crime in charge of all crime in New York City. And he's a good Spider-Man villain. You know, he, he, he would pose problems for Peter Parker. But when they shift him over to a daredevil villain, that's when he became great. Because he matches up so much better with Matt Murdock, you know, the lawyer, Versus the criminal. Yeah. The vigilante versus the supervillain. Like, and I just, you know, that like Born Again, the Frank Miller story, one of the best of all time, where Kingpin learns his secret identity and just systematically destroys his life and tries to take everything from him and destroy any amount of hope he ever had and trying to teach him a man without hope is a man without fear. And and then we get the Netflix series, and a whole new generation of people are learning how cool the Kingpin is because of how well they did it on there. So I got to give it up to Willie Fisk. <laughs> Big Willie Will Fisk. Oh, Willie. <laughs> now, my first introduction to that character was Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Really? Where he brainwashed Captain, uh, Captain America, and Iceman was, like, in love with Captain America. He's the greatest, and... Here he is being brainwashed by the kingpin. Okay. Yeah, I remember that. So my number seven. <laughs> that would not have made my list. No. I'm glad he had a longer career. Yeah, glad he made it through that. Um, my number seven is from a movie from 2009, Inglorious Bastards. It's a, it's a good movie. Christoph Waltz won Best Supporting a- Actor Oscar for playing Colonel Hans Landa. He's a Nazi SS officer who was so villainous. He he wasn't even a real Nazi. He didn't even care <laughs> ideologically what you know what they were after. He was just he was being paid to do a job. He was a he was known as the Jew hunter because he, he was so good at it. He was meticulous and cerebral and skilled at hunting Jews in France. He was an opportunist, just paid to do the job. He could speak four languages, German, English, French, and Italian, and he would trap the accomplices of the the ones trying to hide in conversation. He even used a pipe like he was Sherlock Holmes. He would sit there and, you know, talk to them, change languages, how he was talking, and, you know, starts talking in English because then the... You know, the people in hiding couldn't understand what he was saying, didn't know that he knew where they were, and just really a great performance, creepy villain that just, just 
very evil. It was all about himself, and he didn't care at what cost. You know, he did this job. That movie sort of introduced us to Christoph Waltz, right? Yes. That was kind of his breakout role. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely, he did that, and it brought him to fame. He, he was up again for an award for See, uh, I kind of look back at that role a little differently now that I've seen him in a lot more things. Mm. Because when I first saw it, it's like, who is this guy playing this we- right. whacked out crazy Nazi and then, like, he seems kind of like that in real yeah, life. He really, <laughs> he's just sort of ADD and bounces around. Yeah. So it's like it was less of a feat to me of yeah. acting because, like, oh, he is kind of like that, right? So, uh, yeah, I it was it. a little different from my first viewing yeah. of it, but still, yeah, still a great, villain. great performance, great opening scene. I love that that scene. Au revoir, Shoshana. <laughs> okay, so after me, Michael, you're number seven. Ming the Merciless. Oh, all the way down at seven. Yeah, I, I had to put him in there because it's my favorite cheesy movie of all time, the 1980s Flash Gordon movie, where we have the dastardly Ming that controls everything that he sees, and he decides to attack the planet Earth just out of pure boredom, and a fine-faired, blonde-haired gentleman has to save the day. <laughs> fine-faired, blonde-haired gentleman. <laughs> but no, um... <laughs> I'm not gonna say that. Nope. 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 But anyway, uh, as a kid, you know, I just love that, that villain in all his costumes looked extremely cool and, I mean, he was just the one to beat with the crazy eyebrows. Okay, we're going to one to our number sixes, starting with Jordan. Okay, my number six. You can take it take it from the novel or the miniseries. The most faithful adaptation of a book on screen ever made. uh, Lonesome Dove. My number six villain is Blue Duck. Uh, He's sort of we we. Lonesome Dove chronicles these two old Texas Rangers at the end of their careers. We got a thing for Texas Rangers. Love those Rangers. Um, <laughs> to war out old Rangers. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, Gus McRae and Woodrow Call. Uh, they've had this long, long career. They're long retired. They're going on one last adventure up to the Montana territories. And lurking between Texas and Montana is this guy. He's half Mexican, half Cherokee, an outlaw, who has foiled them year after year after year. They, they never caught him. He was kind of the one that got away. And you just get kind of a glimpse of their past history. And that's another... This, again, it's kind of now I'm thinking about it, it's a little more off-screen. Because he does... Uh, he kidnaps... Lori, the main the main character, and he kills a couple people. But most of his villainy, he talks about you know from years past, and it's just the way people react to him, how scared they are of him, and the reputation he carries in front of him. So you watch, you read this novel, or you watch this six hours of, of a western, and you watch Gus and Call. They are the most capable men, the bravest men. Nothing ever got to them. 
except this guy. He, 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 he never got caught. It's this last piece of unfinished business they never got to. And even in the end, when he does face justice, it has nothing to do with them. He got caught off screen and Call goes and visits him in prison as he's about to be hung. And he, he, he kind of says, yeah, it's about, you're about to get justice. And he said, I stole horses, burned farms, killed men, raped women, and stole children all over your territory. And until today, you never even got a good look at me. So it's just, mm-hmm. especially seeing this movie as a kid, uh, the actor Frederick Forrest, terrifying, just terrifying. And there's a little bit of that cliched, you know, evil Indian, mm-hmm. you know, bloodthirsty red man kind of thing. But it, it's such a good movie. It, it, it there are also you know, more nuanced than that. Right. So, yeah, uh, Blue Duck, awesome, awesome villain. Mm-hmm. Awesome. My- Is that like an '80s movie? Yeah. Yeah. Or a event or something? Larry McMurtry wrote the novel, I think the late 70s, and then mid-80s it was turned into a, a, it was a, TV, a TV TV miniseries on CBS. <coughs> and like I said, it is. I love the book, and the movie is just as good, which is so rare mm-hmm. that the movie gets it exactly right. My Rob, uh, Robert Duvall yeah. and... Uh, mm-hmm. I was going to say. That's uh, right. The... Tommy Jones, Tommy Jones. I was like, I'm not gonna Tommy, say it. I want to see guys struggle. That one dude. <laughs> Next, okay. My number six is I. It's another Oscar winner, and you know, people don't like say they don't like these awards and stuff. I'm. I found as I go through this list, sometimes they give the awards to some pretty great performances. <laughs> so, you know, I, this is another great one. Um, from it was a book in. 1987 it was a movie in 1990 and i'm talking about kathy bates as annie wilkes from misery but did she win a poobah award oh she did she did <laughs> she won the grand poobah <laughs> uh, she plays you know a sadistic demented nurse and obsessive paul sheldon's number one super fan and uh you know if you haven't seen the movie definitely watch it she's just Plays a crazed fan, finds um, James Kahn wrecked on the side of the road after he finishes his latest manuscript for his Misery Chastain series, and where he kills off the character. And when she finds that out, she goes crazy and wants him to rewrite it. And if he tries to escape, she the famous scene breaks his yeah. ankles with a sledgehammer. Because he is just another lying old cockadoody dirty birdie, <laughs> which is which freaks me out when she says that kind of stuff, and and then you know breaks his ankles and tells him, "God, I love you." It'll make you not want to write a novel. That's for sure. <laughs> that's a great movie, a great performance, and she is definitely like, I mean, you find out more about the character, you know, throughout the movie, just how evil she is. So. Is it pretty faithful to the book? Yes, I mean, it, it really is. Yeah, I think it's, of, it is every bit as good as yeah, the book. Excellent. Yeah, I, that's the first Stephen King book I ever read. I got that and went, then became a huge King fan. I've read probably 90% of his books. He's tied up in your cabin as we speak. Yeah, that's right. He's writing, he's rewriting, uh, all the ones that I hated. Um, and Michael's number six, don't say it because it shows up on someone's list later. So we're skipping you, Michael. What's new? Yeah, and we're going on to Cliff's number six. 
number six. Oh, uh, I, I had some debate on this. Naturally, I'm going to have a Disney villain in here. <laughs> Naturally. But I had Gaston? Debate. Please be Gaston. <laughs> that was one of my... Alternates? Alternates. Honorable mentions? One of my choices. I, ha- I was like, okay, Gaston... Um, Scar from the Lion King, Ursula from the Little Mermaid. Um, there don't, were don't say them all. Maybe somebody's cheating. got he's one. He's cheating. He's had yeah, he's, he's had an eight or we'll ten. Give your, Hope from we'll Peter give your honorable mentions later. <laughs> but what I came down to was Cruella Deville. She, a character that has her own theme song written by another character in the Sing movie. Sing it, George. We'll, we'll put it in. We're <laughs> <laughs> off. We don't want to overdo the George. Oh, I don't think you can. Definitely haven't yet. Uh, I vote no. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Corella Deville in the 1961 101 Dalmatians was a Disney movie. She was voiced by Betty Lou Gerson and animated by Mark Davis, who is one of probably my favorite all-time animator. Love Mark Davis. I love a lot of the work Mark Davis did later on in uh, park attractions too that he designed. But um, uh, the Disney Renaissance man, what he was always called. But just what a character! Um, completely evil. She has no redeeming quality whatsoever. And I, I, I refresh my memory. Her plot is to. Kill a bunch of puppies and make a coat out of it, correct? Yeah. The, the, That's pretty evil. That for, is pretty yeah, how do you, evil. How you get more evil than that? <laughs> she's waiting for the Radcliffe's uh, two Dalmatians to have their puppies. And then she tells them she'll be back in, like, I think three days after the puppies are born. Or three weeks. I'm not sure. Three something. Uh, after the puppies are born to take them because she's going to make a fur coat out of them. And that's it. That's her sole motivation. <laughs> I'm going to kill these dogs and wear them. So um, I always loved her little car she drove, too. It just fit her perfectly. But this, So to me, in a lot of ways, um, I think I, my original choice was Maleficent. It was a very regal villain. But Corella is a much more... Much scarier, um, just in appearance. You know, she's almost skeleton-like, um, just skin and bones with that big oversized fur coat she wears all around. Did you and, like the live-action versions as well? Um, no. I never like the live-action as well as I do the animated. Uh, it's just a general rule, no matter how, how good it is that I have anymore. <laughs> um, but, but then again, it, it just shows the fact that, you know, they made this live-action film, my gosh, years ago. Um, way before Disney was doing any live action films like they are now. So, uh, that was just, they made two of them, in, in fact. So they brought her back again. She was played by Glenn Close in those movies. And, and Glenn Close did an excellent job. Yeah, perfectly job. cast. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, number six, Corella Deville. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for episode number 40. Our, uh, Top Villains, number 10 through 6. Join us next time for episode 41, where we give our top 5 villains of all time. Real quick, some plugs. You can find us at 
www.udownwithkpp.com. On Twitter, we are at the Kapow Podcast, and don't forget to use that hashtag, hashtag UDownWithKPP. Snap a selfie while you're listening to the show. We still want to see those, and please rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks, guys. We'll see you on episode number 41. Kapow, the pop culture podcast, is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during the podcast are property of copyright holders. All original content is property of www.udownwithkpp.com.